3: com
2: compatibility Now from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, and the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong, Jackie Jack, and Joe Getty, Joey Baby.
3: Things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast.
2: Armstrong
3: and Getty.
0: But I
2: know this. They're loco, and everyone knows it. But the dramatics could come down just a little bit.
3: And now he.
4: Armstrong and Getty.
3: So the rise of Trump has been explained by various folks in various ways, and those explanations have ranged from the unspeakably moronic and and grossly oversimplified to pretty insightful at times. One of my favorites, somebody said that uh, a lot of working America, um, well, a lot of America, period, has gotten nothing but condescension and judgment from the left and false promises from the right. About globalization, that sort of thing, for instance. That it would, do, oh, it's good for everybody. Yeah, my, the plant I worked at for 20 years just left. Anyway, uh, David Brooks of the New York Times is, uh, he's uh, allegedly a conservative. He's kind of a moderate conservative of a New York Northeastern bent. Um, but he's a good writer, though. And his piece this week is getting a lot of attention. The headline is, What if we're the bad guys here? And he writes about how Trump is still dominant in spite of all the uh, indictments and stuff. And I'm going to read you a pretty good chunk of this. It's more reading than generally we do, but it's just so good. And I was looking for stuff to edit out, and there just isn't much. But he writes, we anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain his viability. It was encapsulated in a quote from the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherington, quote, Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they want it to slow down, maybe even take a step backward. But if you're a person of color, a woman who va- values gender equality or an LGBT person, would you want to go back to 1963?
4: I doubt it. Boy, I hate you, whoever you are. Who's, who yeah. said this? Yeah, whenever it's the Republicans are just have trouble with uh, you know,
3: a black man was president, and that was oh, shut up with that. That is speaking of condescension and judgment. That was just dripping with grossly oversimplified uh, condemnation. Yeah, go to hell, Mark Hetherington. Anyway, in this story, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot-in-chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with this story, but it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. Yeah, I've got a reason why you partly agree with that story, David Brooks, but I'll get to that later. So let me try another story on you. I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, we're the bad guys. The story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments, including Trump, ironically, uh, plus his heel. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working class areas in Boston, but not on the upscale communities like Wellesley, where they themselves lived. Huh. Yeah, we'll return to that theme in a bit. The idea that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class live lives in a world up here and everybody else is forced to work in a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of these systems is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality that we possess most academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high paying professional jobs and pour enormous resources into our children who get into those same elite schools, marry each other and pass their exclusive class privileges down from generation to generation. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding so far. My only objection to to that part of his argument is that it's a very northeastern point of view. Those of us who've lived and grown up in the rest of the country, it's not that stratified and not in the same way. There's truth to it, it's just not quite the same as, you know, you live in New York New England. But anyway, moving on. Uh Daniel Markovitz yeah, I summarized think, I think
4: yeah. I think growing up in the rural Midwest, I saw all that on TV though. It Mm -hmm. wasn't where I lived at all. I mean, everybody was the same practically everywhere I lived. (laughs) Like, everybody was roughly the same size house with the same kind of car, same um, mostly everywhere I lived. But we saw that on TV. So we're completely aware of the
3: existence of that.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it had a cultural
3: effect. In the halls of power. So he writes, David Markovist summarized years of research in his book, The Meritocracy Trap. Today, middle-class children lose out to the rich children at school. The middle-class adults lose out to elite graduates at work. Meritocracy blocks the middle class from opportunity, then it blames those who lose a competition for income and status that even when everybody plays by the rules, only the rich can win. Again, I think that's overstated, but moving along, Uh, the meritocracy isn't only a system of exclusion. It's an ethos. During his presidency, Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times. What's the implication for anyone who disagrees with his policy? And perhaps didn't go to Harvard Law. They must be stupid. Over the last decades we've taken over whole professions and locked everybody else out. This is something I knew cuz I'd read about it, but you might find it extra interesting. Uh Brooks writes when I began my journalism career in Chicago in the in the 80s, there were still some old crusty working class guys running around the newsroom. Now we're not only a college dominated profession, we're an elite college dominated profession. Only 0.8% of college graduate uh, college students graduate from the super elite 12 schools. Less than 1% a 2018 study found that more than 50% of the staff writers at the beloved New York Times and the Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the nation.
4: That's incredible. Not It's not really surprising, but that that would occur and and, and continue and they'd be okay with it and think, yeah, yeah, we uh, we have the ability to to uh, represent the, the, the country as a whole. What are you talking about?
3: Yeah, how astounding is that imbalance that the the Eastern media elite, who we're always mentioning, are half—half half of them are from the top twenty-nine elites universities in the nation. In a and when we all grew up, a lot of us who are a little bit older anyway, we saw journalism in a certain way. That was when it was a working class profession. You are a good writer, and you were a good seeker of truth, etc., but you weren't some sort of elite, you know, Columbia University, nose-in-the-air Manhattanite. It's ridiculous. Then he goes on uh, another quote from Daniel Markovitz, uh, as he puts it, quote, Elite graduates monopolize the best jobs and at the same time invent new technologies that privilege super-skilled workers, making the best jobs better and all the other jobs worse. Members of our class also segregate themselves into a few booming metro areas, San Francisco, D.C., Austin, so on. In 2020, here's another couple of great statistics. Biden won about 500 counties, but together they're responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties, 2,500 to 500, responsible for only about 29%. And once we find our clicks, we don't get out much. In the book Social Class in the 21st Century, the sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that the members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insular, measured by how often they have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own.
4: Of course, not not shocking in the least.
3: How many many times have you heard us tell you that the Eastern media elite are the most bubbled of bubble peoples? There's proof of it more evidence armed with all kinds of economic cultural and political power we support policies that help ourselves free trade makes the products we buy cheaper and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to china open immigration makes our service staff cheaper but now less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages
4: and it's not affecting your schools and
3: emergency rooms exactly and that's why uh, exactly when uh, brooks said i part the story is partly true That these dumb Republicans, they fear the other or the coloring of a mirror. If your school has all of a sudden 200 children who don't speak English and nobody can learn now because the teachers all have to catch them up on English, that's not fearing the other. That's a specific, undeniable, sickening concern about your children's future. That doesn't happen in David freaking Brooks' neighborhood. Nope. I shouldn't have dropped a freaking on him because he's being pretty good with this article. Or Nancy Pelosi, right? Good point. Like all elites, we use language and mores as a tool to recognize one another and exclude others. Using words like problematic. Problematic cisgender latinx and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears meanwhile members of the less less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired and then he gets into another topic which we talked about several weeks ago the idea of luxury values he doesn't name them that but i like the term He says, we also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves, never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage, but that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental or that might inhibit individual freedom. After the social norm was eroded, a funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and had children within wedlock. People without our resources, unsupported by social norms, were less able to do that. As Adrian Woldridge points out in his 2021 book, The Aristocracy of Talent, 60% of births to women with only a high school certificate occurred out of wedlock. 60% compared with 10% of women with a university degree. That matters. He continues because the rate of single parenting is the single most significant predictor of social immobility in the country. Meaning, the number one predictor you're going to stay poor. The idea of the elite spouting revolutionary ideas about how to reform society and letting that wash around the poor neighborhoods, meanwhile they stay with uh, Muffy and 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 uh, you know whatever in their giant house with their Harvard degree and the rest of it, living as they've always lived as society crumbles. There's just a little more. Do we have a minute? Yeah. uh. Bah, 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 bah. Elite institutions become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that exclude and reject. It's easy to understand why people in less educated classes would conclude that they're under economic, political, cultural, and moral assault, and why they've rallied around Trump as their best warrior against the educated class. He understands that it's not the entrepreneurs who seem most threatening to workers, it's the professional class. Trump understood that there was great demand for a leader who would stick his thumb in our eyes on a daily basis and Reject the whole regime that we rode in on. If distrust, if distrustful populism is your basic worldview, the Trump indictments seem like just another skirmish in the class war between the professionals and the workers. Another assault by a bunch of coastal lawyers who want to take down the man who most aggressively stands up to them. Of course, the indictments don't cause Trump supporters to abandon him. They cause them to become more fiercely loyal. That's the polling story of the last six months.
4: Yeah, I don't know if I'm as solidly in agreement with all the stuff around the trump indictment uh narrative but all that other part you know about him getting elected in the first place and everything since is just so clearly true and i think we've more or less said it in different words for the past six years mm-hmm. uh just so obviously true it's just amazing that he you know is with enough studying and thinking about it is figured out what was obviously true <laughs>
3: My final note is, uh, you know, one of my greatest hits. To whatever extent we try to understand the world around us, particularly the United States of America, through the eyes of the media elite, we are being wildly misled. Of course. Look around you. That's America. Their version of America doesn't exist except in their tiny little cloisters. Right.
2: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. (laughs) The Armstrong and
3: Getty Show. Really interesting story out. Speaking of dividing ourselves into progressive Tania and the conservative states of America. um, We'll have a hell of a lot better football team and army, apparently. Uh, there has been a trend in recent years that's just growing and growing. Uh, Girls, teenage girls, young women are swerving leftward politically, and boys are going in the opposite direction. And I mentioned
4: that my boys have strongly culturally conservative views that I swear to God they did not get from me on topics where I've never discussed them at all. It just kind of got to them through the os- well i think it came through the osmosis of this doesn't make sense a lot of the oh, stuff they're i would saying- agree
3: i would agree human beings are not without instincts just because we got a big old frontal lobe doesn't mean we're not able to recognize danger for instance or or something that will make us sick something that doesn't compute anyway uh, there are roughly twice as many boys as uh, who identify as conservative or very conservative as uh, identify as liberal or very liberal right now the figures represent a striking shift in the political views of boys. As recently as late two thousand, liberal boys occasionally outnumbered conservatives. It was often pretty even. Uh back in the Carter era, both boys and girls leaned liberal. Uh nowadays it is girls who are drifting to the left. The share of twelfth grade girls who identified as liberal rose from nineteen percent to thirty percent between twenty twelve and twenty twenty-two. Wow. From nineteen to thirty. Only 12% of girls identified as conservative in last year's survey administered by the University of, of Michigan. Wow, Young this women is, trending liberal age 18 to 29 as well. This is all feeding
4: numbers that are going that direction. So they're going to be the girls are going to be more likely to go to college, which is heavily dominated by women already, because the boys are going to think, I don't want to go hang around that
3: craziness. Um, and that's that's going to widen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Young women are almost twice as likely as young men to claim the liberal tag, a widening gender gap in political beliefs. Uh, bah, 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 bah. The leftward drift of young women alone has sufficed to move the needle on young adults as a whole. Uh, let's see. Jean Twenge. I can never remember how to say her name. She's a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. She's brilliant, really insightful and not a nut job academic. Um. To spotlight the growing gender gap, she couched the numbers in a chart that split boys and girls along ideological lines, omitting moderates and the undecided. Among liberals, the future is female, she wrote. Among conservatives, the future is male. And then skipping ahead, but that's uh, somebody not said,
4: good. That's not good for society either. God dang it!
3: There's so many. There's so many arrows pointing bad directions. I know it. This marriage cannot be saved. Uh, as one recent political article put it, Democrats have a masculinity problem. Uh, I believe that, oh, this is, uh, Delano Squires, who, a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. I believe that traditional notions of masculinity are much more accepted within conservatism. And feminist values are clearly one of the driving forces of liberalism. And it, uh, you know, feminist is such a broad term, it hardly is useful right. these days, but.
4: So, uh, not that much coupling going, going on anyway, but if there is, or the girls going to get to say what they want, and the boys will keep their mouths shut because they're hoping for a little something-something better to keep your mouth shut?
3: Apparently not. Now they'll play video games and, and, and watch porn and let the girls yap back and forth to their woke professors. Wow. Wow. The uh, armstrong and getty
1: what in god's name it's hundred on the crazy meter bad man that makes my soul bleed that's insane it's a little too much talk. Dock.
2: unacceptable the
1: reality is is things
0: are
3: getting weird I'm getting weird fast uh
2: okay this is the armstrong and getty show bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents
4: pace of change has been dizzying in the modern world for quite some time, and it's going to get faster and faster and more dizzying, and I'm not sure human beings' brains can keep up with it. I feel like if we were doing a talk radio show in the year 1620, uh, <laughs> leaving out the... <laughs> On the obvious uh, issues. The obvious issues. Yes. Yes, of uh, Even if we did have the tower and the broadcasting equipment, there'd be so few people listening. Right. But, but, but putting aside the practicalities, I love your premise. We could say everything's going to be pretty much exactly the same for the next 50 years. You're going <laughs> to eat the same food, you're going to wear the same clothes, you're going to do the same things for a living, blah, 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 blah. And obviously that's not true right now. I'll we'll have to get to this story I, later. I
3: confessed, I confessed, that was it on the podcast or the show yesterday, the radio show, that it, it dawned on me that when we quote Elon Musk's uh, hilariously accurate, things are getting weird and they're getting weird fast. Things are getting weird and they're getting weird fast. I hadn't fully you know appreciated the fact that that's going to continue. We're not at peak weird. We're not at cl- close oh, to peak no. weird.
4: Looking at this headline and we'll talk about it later. AI is on a collision course with white collar high-paid jobs with unknown impact. Oh yeah. When that really gets up and going, holy cow, you talk about fast change that spins the head and can we deal with it? So you got stuff like that that's you know technical And we'll have social and cultural changes, but then you got the whole, the trans thing, you know, nothing technical changed there. What, what, what brought about this thing? I mean, it wasn't like somebody invented a a computer chip or different way to transport or nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. culturally it just changed. And so we've all been looking for explanations for why it seems like in the last 15 minutes, everything went from the way it was. To this conversation,
3: I obviously have some pretty strong ideas on that, but I don't want to steal anybody's uh, thunder. So I'll wait.
4: So yesterday we played a clip of Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins—he's a very famous. He's he's mostly famous for arguing for why religion is bad and God doesn't exist. He's an evolutionary biologist, and he debates religious people all the time. And there's a bunch of YouTube videos with billions of views where he, where he has done that, and so he's been a hero. To uh, the left for a, for a long time, but then he came out recently and said, "No, there's there's two genders." This is nonsense. There's the male and female. That's it. What are you talking about?
3: And well, one of the great rhetorical tricks of these uh, woke maniacs is uh, using the terms sex and gender interchangeably, and then claiming that gender is just how you feel, but it means the same as sex. So. There aren't two sexes because there aren't two genders, and and they use the terms interchangeably.
4: Anyway, the clip we played yesterday featured a woman. Her name is Helen Joyce. She's the author of a book about gender ideology and has done a bunch of research on it and everything like that. And he posted on his own website this clip in which she explains her view of how this is happening, why this is happening with, with individual people
2: you have to be let a lot of freedom to be yourself nothing has to be made of this by the grown-ups around you and if things start to be made about it you start to question yourself and think like why am i so different like why am i a boy who only likes the girls and why am i a girl who only likes the boys what's wrong with me and then the thought comes up in your own mind was i meant to be a girl was I meant to be a boy? Like we knew this already in about 2000. The research had been done. The, 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 the papers had been examined. We know that the gender nonconformity comes first in these kids. And the gender dysphoria, the distress, is a result of the gender nonconformity and the meaning that is made of that. So if no meaning is made of it, you just grow up. And you might be an unusual straight person, but you're quite likely to be gay. But if a lot of meaning is made out of it, you interpret that as being that there's a woman inside or there's a man inside,
4: so the why am i like this comes first then it's put into your head that this could be a thing and if it weren't she says well then things would be the way it's been forever
3: right you'd be an effeminate dude or a tomboy or a lesbian or a gay guy or whatever and and you would just live your life Uh but the adults around you and and she she used kind of a a very uk-ish expression but um
0: Hello. The adults Put it in around the boat you
3: in the lorry and the lift. No, that's not what she said that I recall. Anyway, oh, uh, no, she's saying the adults around you make a big deal of it. They make a big to-do about it.
4: Yeah, well there's no there's no avoiding the to-do right now. It'd be pretty hard even if in your own household you decide I'm going to see if this is a phase and just let it go. That ain't the way it's going to get treated at school though. Certainly at government
3: schools. Right which have been taken over by the far left in most places.
4: Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I said yesterday, I think Richard Dawkins and a number of other people pushing back on this. The, the 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 peak of this was a couple of years ago, and it's receding. I don't know. I don't know if it'll recede completely.
3: Well, well so I, I think a lot of it is the neo-Marxist thing that I've been talking about, and I'll give you a very brief explanation in a second. I think a lot of it is... You're exploiting kids' need to feel special. The what they call the narcissism of small distinctions. And I was uh, ruminating on this very idea yesterday as I made myself a, uh, a a plate of scrambled eggs and bacon in the middle of the day. Ooh, very delightful.
4: Scrambled eggs and bacon. Does that sound good?
3: Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, Judy had me cook up the entire pound of bacon the other day and uh, I was going to do it on the grill, but the grill was being funky. So I did it inside and the house just reeked of bacon for like two days. Anyway, it's uh,
4: hard not to have your house reek of bacon. It's really difficult.
3: And yeah, you uh, we can run every exhaust fan that's ever been built and well, your house will still R.O.B. It's
4: It's hard for me to get out of my head. The idea that scrambled eggs and bacon aren't incredibly unhealthy because that was the view when I was a kid that that sort of meal was terrible for you. What you should eat is what comes out of a box from Kellogg's,
3: right? With lots and lots of sugar and carbs. That's the good stuff. Anyway, uh, so I was ruminating on that very question. uh, The narcissism, small distinctions. And it occurred to me since I have been a little kid, I've gotten a little charge of self-esteem when anybody observes that I'm left handed because we're about 10% of the population. And people say eh, whatever the percentage is it's it's smallish until I um, start building the camps anyway anyway uh, I, uh i've always thought that's right i'm i'm that special thing i'm not like most people and uh blah blah, blah. there is absolutely zero reason to be proud of being left-handed <laughs> none <laughs> it is of no advantage unless you're a major league pitcher for instance and and i'm not the fact that i write left-handed knee left-handed and that sort of stuff i actually throw with the other hand it doesn't matter but. It's of no significance to my life, but it's a small distinction. And for whatever reason, as a Homo sapiens, that appeals to us. And if you get an adolescent who feels that need incredibly strongly, as we all did, I won't go into details. We can all remember. It's embarrassing in many cases. That is an incredibly useful impulse to exploit if you are a Marxist Mao understood this brilliantly uh Hitler understood it brilliantly now he wasn't a Marxist per se but that's really getting into absolutely functionally useless political theory there are totalitarian regimes that had to have loyal youth with a revolutionary zeal zeal to make their thing work very as useless as being left-handed Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's in it, it. I had not recognized at the time how significant it was when the founders of Black Lives Matter said, first of all, we're trained Marxists. Marxism is not an economic system. That's part of it. It's a system of taking control. The oppressed or convince people they are oppressed the the quote unquote oppressed seizing power from the oppressors and one of the most important techniques of that sort of Maoist Marxism is you have bad identities and good identities. We're talking about this yesterday. And if you can convince an adolescent who's desperate for approval and belonging and desperate to feel like they're special, that if you assume this identity, you will be praised, you will be loved, you will be exalted, and you will be special. You've got them. That's why they're so busy in schools right now trying to recruit kids to uh, critical race theory, radical queer theory, gender theory, all that stuff. It's all out of the critical theory uh school of philosophy, middle part of the 20th century. That was Western Marxism. Marxism doesn't work because the working class works and their lives get better and they like it. They like capitalism. So they realize the energy is in the racial minorities, the sexual minorities, women, etc. We've got to radicalize those people. Then we can install a central planned uh, uh, a government with us in power. That's what Marxism is.
4: Slightly different topic, but it came up earlier as a, a booth at the farmer's market last night, a flat earther.
3: And he's fascinated by that. I wish I could have talked to to the guy. Is
4: that a similar sort of thing? That, like, conspiracy people, the way to separate yourself I'm a flat earther, or is that a different thing?
3: No, I think that's part of the same impulse, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it when we were talking about the flat earth guy, that there's got to be a continuum among human beings of completely credulous. You believe everything the government tells you. You are a good little sheep. Through... A pr- aware that it, they're not always honest to a, a highly skeptical person, to a very, very cynical person. And then at the end of the line, I think you get to people who reflexively reject everything but ideas that are said to be, like, subversive.
4: Here's my theory on the conspiracy theorists, because I had this conversation last night, so... I hope I don't piss too many people off with this. Just this is my own anecdotal evidence with some people I've known who've really been into a variety of the conspiracies. They were all smarter, like quite a bit smarter than average, the people that I knew. But not particularly successful. Hmm. And I wonder if there's some... The only way I can be bottom quarter of successful in the world as smart as i am because i recognize i'm smarter than most people is some conspiracy that controls things
1: hmm,
3: wow well, you're on to something for sure
4: that's the only way the world makes sense to me that somebody as smart as i am am i you know i'm 45 years old and i'm still stacking boxes at this store the yeah. only way that that makes sense is if there's some sort of cabal or or something space aliens or whatever the controls thing.
3: That's the thing. Space nice aliens who who arrived and said, "Damn, this planet is flat." Um yeah, I think you're on to something there, but What's really interesting, especially, uh, especially about these times we're living in, is that a lot of what's called a conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorists turns out to be completely true. There's a meme going on right now. I need new conspiracy theories. All of my old ones came true. <laughs> 51 intelligence officials, right. former whatever, right. are all going to get together and say this laptop's Russian disinformation when it's not. Come on.
4: 51. I remember I, I, somebody that uh, it was hurtful when they said this. Somebody I know and like said to me that I was a conspiracy theorist when I talked about China making fentanyl and getting it into the United States through the Mexican border and killing off people and, and uh, everybody being addicted. And then the FBI director, or no, it was uh, Anthony Blinken when he was over in China, said one of his top priorities was to convince the Chinese to stop with the whole sending fentanyl.
3: Right. The Western world Remember, and, oh, wow!
4: Well, I guess I'm not a conspiracy nut. I guess that's actually happening.
3: Speaking of uh, China, how about that idiotic and dangerous conspiracy theory that maybe the uh, the COVID leaked right. out of a lab? And, and to believe otherwise, you'd have to believe that Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, the NIH, that all of them were covering it up? That's insane. We're going to take away your Facebook account. Oh, except it's 100% true.
4: And birds aren't real, turns out
3: flies the spies, government oh, drones. Boy. Oh, boy. So where do you draw the line? For me, uh, right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy,
3: A couple of stories, uh, each worthy of a minute or two of consideration. ESPN, for reasons that I've not been, you know, really into, the the giant sports network has been struggling terribly financially, and uh, they just announced a ten year deal with Penn Entertainment, a casino company, to create an online sports betting brand called ESPN Bet catapulting the sports entertainment network into the lucrative world of online gambling. Penn will operate the online sportsbook and pay ESPN a billion and a half dollars in cash for the use of ESPN's name, marketing, access to ESPN talent, and other promotional tools. And ESPN can also buy some stock in the casino company, uh, I think. Don't think it's a great development that one of the great sports broadcasters is now going to be up to its neck in sports gambling and promoting gambling with its every breath. It's interesting that there was so much separation
4: for so many years to an almost ridiculous level between the gambling world and sports, or at least they tried to have it. Mm -hmm. No teams in Vegas. The reason college kids couldn't get a cent from anybody is you just one of the reasons. Well, one of the reasons was the colleges wanted to make money off these people, but um, and not have to give any back. But uh, part of it is also they don't want any any chance for anybody to be influenced because you're not getting money from anybody, and just all these different things. And uh, and and now we're dropping them like there is a little like, like little chip in it and a little chip and now the whole thing is falling apart. we like, we can just intermix gambling and sports as much as we want and it won't be a problem. You wouldn't mention right. gambling at all, betting lines or anything in broadcasts because that was just seen as too close to gambling. We don't want to. Now they talk about it all the time. I mean, half the broadcast oh, yeah. is talking about the line
3: or somebody's fantasy league or something. Well, and they're infomercials getting you yeah. to log on to a particular website to do your gambling. The Shows have become about gambling. So doesn't it seem like it's going to have the logical conclusion at some point?
4: Where there's some major star and some major sport, it turns out, is on the take?
3: You know, that could happen. You're probably right. I'm much more worried about the 400,000 mostly men who are going to ruin their lives and spend their uh, families into poverty. Yeah. Well, that, the, you're right. That's a bigger problem than if...
4: It turns out the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers weren't actually the best NBA team that season. <laughs> we'll all be all right, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm not a prude. I don't want it
3: outlawed by the government, but yeah, there's there's very little upside to gambling. Yeah, gambling's a dangerous thing. I do it occasionally, uh, very occasionally. I, I realize very quickly the pitfalls and the slippery slope that it is. And I'm just uncomfortable with, uh, you know, our, our big institutions promoting vice in general. Thanks. Yeah, I know they've had alcohol advertising, but a handsome guy and a pretty girl drinking a, you know, Coors Light is one thing. Systematic, all day long. Look, you could, you're going to win. You bet this team you're going to win. Just log on to blankety blank right now. I mean, it's a, it's a different thing
4: thank God I don't have that bug like at all but I just have I've read about it and I know people with it it's just it sounds like it's like heroin or booze or anything else it's just all in our sex it's a, just an all-encompassing you can't think of anything else
3: oof yeah yeah I'm I'm just lucky really lucky that I've got this weird thing where if I like something too much I immediately recognize it and think I'm not strong enough to uh, deal with that. I'll overdo it. I'll become addicted. I will ruin my life. So I just step back. It's it's a weird like it's the strength of weakness or the weakness of strength or <laughs> something. I don't know what it is. But, but anyway, you a,
4: you're, when you do your TED talk, you're going to want to nail down that title.
3: Yeah, probably. But it'll be one or the other. It's like the opposite of the frog being boiled metaphor that people use all the time. I'm immediately like I'm going to boil. I'm going to boil. <laughs> and I jump out of the water. So anyway, it's just luck or upbringing, I don't know. Anyway, Is it true? Uh, go ahead. Uh, I I I don't
4: know if I've heard this before. I don't know if I've read it authoritatively. But like for 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 beer, for booze, the alcoholics keep them going. I mean, because a lot of average people don't drink that much, but the mm-hmm. alcoholics drink a lot, and I mean that's a big portion of their their money. And so, is it true for gambling that you know there's money in the casual gambler, but the real money is in the
3: people that are always gambling? Is it? Would it be I true for that? Well, first of all, I prefer the term alcohol enthusiast. Um, secondly, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I have a feeling. That it's mostly about people who gamble more than they should. Yeah. But that's a, I, different, I, I that's a difficult line to draw, I suppose. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste.